All right. It's been a little bit of a break since I've done podcasts, uh, mostly just laziness, I think. Um, uh, but today, uh, I'm actually really honored to have Christine Massey. I think that's how you say your name, right? That's correct. Yeah. We've never met, but we both feel like we've known each other pretty well. And I think what I would say, and maybe a lot of you don't know Christine, um, I certainly do. And I would say that Christine is one of the absolute real heroes of this whole last two years. Maybe a little bit of an unsung hero, unlike sort of uh, people like me and Andy who sort of get out there and shoot our mouth off. Uh, but Christine is, uh, it has really been the, a big source of, of the information that we're using. And without Christine, I don't know that I could have been able to do what I've done. Uh, so I just want to say that. And we, we, me and the world owes you an incredible debt of gratitude or thanks of gratitude or however you say that. So that's the first thing. And, and I, then I wanted, uh, and Christine, I always tell people that if you hear anything in my crazy introductions that you don't agree with, please correct me. But okay. <laughs> I thought of a way of describing what you're doing that I think will make it clear for people. And I'll see if you agree with this. So basically, we have a situation where uh, you people live in, like I live in a house with, that's made of wood. And I look one day and some of the wood is rotting. And I think, I wonder what's eating and rotting my wood. And I think, well, it could be termites. So, because I've heard that termites eat wood, maybe rotten wood, or maybe they just eat any wood. I don't, I'm not sure, actually. So I call the termite uh, extermination people. And I say, can you come and look at my house? Because my house is being eaten. And they come and they look and they say, uh, we don't see any termites. And I say, are you sure? Because there may be, I've heard termites eat wooden houses. Well, I don't, we don't see any, but uh, it, it turns out that it's possible that termites, uh, when you shine the light and do the thing that we do, they actually uh, go and hide inside the wood and make eggs and you can't see them. And so what we can do is we can take a piece of your wood and we take it to the lab and we mix it with uh, a few other things that have termite eggs in them. And we put termite uh, egg stimulation growth powder in there. And then we see if the termites grow. And if they grow, that means that you had termites. And you think, are you sure? Like, can you just look and see if there's, you know, like if there's termites? No, no, there's, you can't find termites. They, they, they know how to hide. And as soon as they see you coming with the light, you know, they just go in inside the wood. Now, we do find pine fibers in there. Uh, and we think that the termites may are, you know, make pine fibers. But it's also possible that your house is made of pine boards. So we have to be careful of that. And I think that's basically virology in a nutshell. <laughs> now, what, 
what Christine is doing, again, correct me if I'm wrong here, you have asked all the termite companies in the world, hey, did you, any, did you ever find any termites when you looked in people's <laughs> rotting house? Uh, and they give you all kinds of stuff, answers. Yeah. Uh, but, and you, you're very clear. I don't mean that when you, you put the, the wood in a vat with other termite eggs and made it grow. That's not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for actually, did you find any termites at in the people's house? And uh, again, I don't know the number now, but a whole lot of different people have said, nope, we never found any termites. <laughs> That's correct. <laughs> I would think that um, termite person was probably a virologist in a former life. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so, yeah. Well, anyway, so with that, if you could just tell us a little bit who you are and how you got into looking for termites. Okay. Or, or looking to see whether other people found termites, otherwise right. known as viruses. And then so, what you've been doing. And then we're going to talk about the Peter McCulloch thing, which is really what stimulated me to do this conversation now. And again, Thank you and uh, take it away. Well, I, I have, to, okay, so I'll explain how I got started. Well, my name's Christine Massey. I live in Peterborough, Ontario, Canada, which is close to Toronto. And um, what happened was early 2020, I was trying to figure out what was really going on, like a lot of other people. And I was at the stage where I was- Did you get any, any contact with any of this before this? With virology? Yeah. You know, it's really funny because- um, about, I think almost a year into it, one night I was in a slightly altered state, well, shall we say, and I had a memory come back to me of years earlier when a friend was diagnosed with um, hepatitis. I forget if it was A or B, I can never remember those kind of details. He was diagnosed with hepatitis. This was someone who had been uh, like a major alcoholic and um, a recovering alcoholic. And he was diagnosed with hepatitis, which was blamed on a virus. And they wanted him to take these very harsh medications. And I was like, okay, maybe you just damaged your liver from all that alcohol. And, yeah, you know, you maybe you should breathing. look into, maybe <laughs> there, you know, maybe there's something else going on. And, and, and I was like, why would you, they were warning him that these drugs, they were actually calling it chemotherapy, which I, th I thought that was really strange because I had only heard that term used in connection with cancer, but they were telling him he would have to carry this case around and I don't know anyway it was really weird and they were warning him he'd probably get depressed and it was I said well why don't we you know look into it and try to find more information so he wasn't interested he just trusted the doctors so I would I just went online and started searching and somewhere along the way I came across information that the tests were very suspect and i this was years ago, and I don't remember if I actually heard that the existence of the virus was even in question. I might have, but I know I definitely found out that the tests were in question, and I tried to share it with him, and I was sharing information, too, about other things that might help his liver recover. And um, anyway, he, he wasn't open to the information, and I was distressed that my friend was going to be really hurt by these drugs that they wanted to give him, so... Um, I think I blotted it out of my memory because I totally forgot that. And then it came back to me like about 
after months and months and months of collecting these freedom of information responses. So it was really, it was like shocking to me when that memory finally came back. But anyway, sorry, just to get back to um, COVID. What had you done in your life? I mean, did you have a profession or? You know what? I I kind of feel like I was probably, what did I do professionally? Is that what you mean? Yeah. Um, (laughs) I was... Honestly, I think I must have been born to deal with this nonsense because I was one of those people that was always kind of felt lost and wasn't sure what I was supposed to be doing. So the only thing of interest, I guess, was um, I went back to school late in life in my 30s and I ended up getting a master's degree in biostatistics. And I worked in a hospital for four years where it was a cancer institute in Toronto. And I did that for four years, which I never enjoyed for various reasons, but uh, partly because every project I was assigned, um, they were always investigating chemo, radiation or surgery, never nutrition or anything, anything else. So eventually I quit and I did that from home as a independent statistician for a few years. And I just gradually got away from doing that. So other than that, I was just one of these people that never really knew what I was supposed to be doing. And um, the funny thing is at the time when COVID started, I was actually just working in a a retail store um, because I I wanted to do something that wasn't on a computer and I wanted to be standing more because I I thought it's better for my health than sitting at a desk all day. So I was working at a dollar store. I was in a minimum wage job at that time. And uh, I never told that publicly before because I knew people would use it to discredit me and be like, oh, who are you? You're some retail clerk, right? Right. But I always try to tell people anybody can understand, like, thanks to you and Dr. Kaufman, especially because if it weren't for you, I don't know if I ever would have got to the point of actually looking at the the very basis of this whole virus story. It was because of... um, well, what happened was in 2020, I was trying to get a better understanding of the PCR tests. And I think so God, I was stop you for a second there. So, yeah, I mean, while you may have been a re and it's fine to be a retail clerk, at least yeah. they do something useful. But yes, <laughs> you know, you, you did. You do have a, a background in looking at studies and yeah. looking at statistics. Right. So you're not. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. anyway, not that that matters, because. I, I think it's important to realize that, that, I mean, anybody can understand this is not rocket science. I mean, exactly. that means, I don't even know what rocket yeah. science is, but, <laughs> um, uh, you know, this is not like the most complicated, it's termites. You can't find exactly. the termites, you know? Exactly, Anyways, exactly. Yeah. No, so, I agree 100%. And I always try to tell people that. And I just didn't share that fact about myself, though, because I knew yeah. the, the, you know, so yeah, they discredit us for a lot of things. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so I was, I had been on John Rappaport's email list for many years, and I knew from him and other sources, I had heard that the whole HIV AIDS thing was very sketchy and that that yeah. alleged virus wasn't proven to exist. So, and years, uh, I would say maybe five or six years ago, I was very focused on water fluoridation. That was my whole thing that I thought I wanted to. I wanted to bring that to an end um, and I was hoping we would, you know, finally get that taken care of. And then I could put my attention more on the vaccine issue because I was aware that there are a lot of people getting harmed from these injections. So 
with the COVID, I was at the point where I was, try, I was getting a better understanding of the PCR tests, how they actually worked. And I had come across um, David Pro's work, who was such a, a wonderful man in Canada that unfortunately we lost him shortly after. Um, and then I, so I was at that stage and I had read that amazing article by Celia Farber, where she reported on her conversations with Carrie Mullis and um, talking about the PCR test. And that also she mentioned David Crow having said that the virus hadn't been isolated. And so I was at that stage of trying to get a better understanding of all this. And then, thank God, someone sent me um, that first presentation that Dr. Kaufman did, where he was talking about the testing. And he mentioned that the alleged virus hadn't been isolated. So that was so helpful. And then he did the second one where he talked about Koch's postulates. So that was what actually um, inspired me to start sending out these freedom of information responses. And because Dr. Kaufman did that nice little section where he said, okay, if, if viruses existed, this is how they could isolate them, but this is what they actually do in these studies. So I watched it and watched it and watched it. And I worded my request as carefully as I could <clears throat> so that if there were any legitimate studies, we would they would be responsive to the request. But I was trying to weed out all the bogus studies because I know, you know, they could just bombard me with all kinds of bogus studies. And I want my whole purpose was to discover if, with what you and Dr. Kaufman were saying were true. I came, I became familiar with you a little bit later on. Um, but, so I wanted to make sure that nothing was being missed, that we were, you know, correct in, in what was being said. And if it was correct, I wanted something very simple for the public to read and go, okay, wait a minute, they don't have any studies to show that they've actually isolated a virus. So let's be clear, uh, just to help people here. Um, number one, what did you actually ask these people? And okay. then two, <clears throat> what is a freedom of information request and why did you go down that route? Okay, so I'll start with the freedom of information. So a lot of countries, most countries, as far as I know, they have legislation and the purpose is to facilitate um, transparency and for the public to access records um, that are not already publicly available. So it's a legislated process where you can make a request of an institution and you need to just describe what it is you're looking for and try to make it clear. And, uh, you know, you give your contact information so that they can get back to you. And um, so I usually refer to it as freedom of information. Um, sometimes the legislation will be called access to information, can go by different names, but I usually say FOI for short, freedom of information. And these so, are in a whole lot of different countries, not just the US. Yeah, so we have it in Canada. And in Canada, we have a federal version that applies to federal institutions. And then we have provincial legislation for each province that applies to the provincial um, institutions. And then we have uh, within a province like Ontario, we also have a municipal version. So that applies to the municipal institutions. So, um, so there's all kinds of variations in the legislation, but basically it boils down to the same thing that you can get access to records. And they basically have to respond. Is that? They're, yeah, they should. I mean, 
there's a lot of variation. Like, for example, I think probably in probably in all the legislation, they all have something where they can give themselves an extension if if it's considered complicated or it's too difficult yeah. for them to, you know, which they often take advantage of because COVID gives the perfect excuse to say that they're busy. Um, but yeah, it, there's a protocol that they're supposed to follow and it's supposed to it's supposed to facilitate. I think sometimes it's actually used as a way to slow down the process because right. if they have 30 days, quite often they'll take 30 days, even though they could have just sent it out to you faster. Um, but anyway, so that's what I started doing, submitting formal requests, because if you just send off an email saying to someone, oh, hey, you know, I want to see what proof you have of this virus, um, you know, they, there's a good chance they'll just ignore you. But if you right. submit a freedom of information request, then they're supposed to get back to you. And right. they, they typically do get back to you. There's been a few examples of um, requests that have just been ignored altogether. For example, I sent a couple to Italy and never had any acknowledgement. And my colleague in New Zealand sent one to the German Ministry of Health. And he's never had any response from them. But typically, you do get a response. It's not necessarily a very helpful response, but they Some do at least fun. get back to you. All right. So, so what are you asking them exactly? Okay. So what I asked was, um, I could even read an example, but I'll just say it off the top of my head. Basically, any records in the possession, custody, or control of your institution describing the isolate in the beginning I said isolation but nowadays I say purification just to be more clear uh, purification of the alleged COVID-19 virus and nowadays I say or any including any of the alleged variants from a sample taken from a diseased patient where the sample was not first um, combined with any other source of genetic um, material for example, viral cells or fetal bovine serum. And then I'll say, um, you know, to be clear, I'm not asking for studies where the researchers failed to purify and instead did the tissue cultures or PCR tests or uh, electron microscopy images of unpurified things or um, produced a genome, you know, fabricated a genome. I don't mean that. I just mean studies where they actually separated the alleged virus from everything else using the standard procedures for doing, you know, for purifying very small things. And I also said, um, if there's any records that are, any records that match that description that are in your custody or control, but they're already publicly available, uh, please cite them for me with enough detail that I can go and find it. Because like I said, the legislation doesn't apply if something's already publicly available. So they could just say, oh, well, that information is publicly available. So we don't have yeah. to give it to you. So I always say, uh, they're supposed to be helping you, right? So I always say, if, if that's the case, please give me the title, the author, you know, as much detail yeah. so that I can go and find it and give me the URL if possible. So I try to cover all the bases. And I also say, I'm not just asking for records where your institution did this isolation work or um, documents that were written by your institution. I'm asking any record that you have, regardless of who wrote it anywhere in the world, 
any record that you have. Got it. So that's what I started <clears throat> sending out. And in it other started... words, show me the termites that you found at the rotten wood site. Exactly. Or that anyone in the world found. Right. So... And give us any, some examples of who you've sent these to. Yeah. So I have, I, because I live in Canada, I started with Canada and my focus has been on Canada. So I started with institutions like Health Canada, which is, that's our institution, I guess it's kind of like your FDA, where they yeah. approve um, products, products and devices, drugs, what have you. And then the Public Health Agency of Canada, which I guess is more like your CDC, where they claim to be tracking viruses and stuff like that. Um, and all five of the institutions in Canada where they had claimed to have isolated the virus. So that includes um, the University of Toronto, the uh, McMaster University, um, Mount Sinai Hospital in Toronto, and Sunnybrook Health Sciences Centre. These are all four institutions in Ontario. So they had, um, all, they all put out press releases and there's a published paper where researchers from those four institutions had claimed to have jointly isolated the alleged imaginary virus. So, and then I also sent one to an organization called Vito Intervac at the University of Saskatchewan. And that is, um, Vito stands for Vaccine and Infectious Disease Organization dash international something or other to do with vaccines. So they're at the University of Saskatchewan and they collaborate internationally. And they had also claimed to have isolated the virus. So, I have them, we have the National Research Council of Canada, um, a few other federal agencies. One is called the, uh, I just heard of them for the first time recently, something like the Patented Medicine Prices Review Board of Canada. But it's not just have, Canada, right? You've got- No, <laughs> so, um, so I was focusing on Canada and putting this on social media. The response is when nobody would have any records. And then a, a gentleman in New Zealand, Michael, he just doesn't give his last name for, for the safety of him and his family. But he started focusing in New Zealand and he also sent a request to the CDC. So he was the first one to get a request a response from the CDC and that was November 12th of 2020. And the CDC admitted flat out we don't have any records, period. So all of these people, and I've seen them from, I don't know, Croatia or wherever. I'm not sure. I don't remember. Yeah. Them. Uh, we so, now we're, have, so we're talking we, now a hundred and some? 50? 100, 156 institutions, individual institutions, and the number of countries is roughly 30 by now. It, it's a little difficult to to count because... If I count just individual countries, it's maybe 25, 26, but then you also have Britain, the United Kingdom, yeah. you have the Center for Disease Control for Europe. There's a few jurisdictions that include more than one country. So if you count all of those, you come, it comes to about 30. And we have, like, for example, from the CDC, we have at least six responses from the CDC. It's not just one, like they've been asked multiple times. Um, and I submitted a request to them recently. I haven't got the response yet, but I did, just so you know, regarding their um, the paper by Harcourt, Jennifer Harcourt. Yeah. yeah, that's the CDC paper where they claim to have isolated. 
which <clears throat> I, I'm, probably people send it to like 20 times a day <laughs> saying that they actually isolated the virus. Um, I, we sent a request to them asking for details of their, um, I forget in that paper if they mention, uh, they make a reference to controls like mop controls or right. they make a very vague sketchy reference to some control cell group, but they don't give the details. Right. And we know it's not fully controlled because you would have to have a purified sample so that everything else is the same in both groups. But um, we're asking for all the details of those so-called controls, uh, the tr control group, to find out how they compare to the actual, uh, the experimental yeah. group. So yeah, we have lots and lots of institutions, min ministries of health, we have at least, uh, I think, 11 now institutions on the list that I know of where they had publicly claimed to have isolated. So that includes the five Canadian ones, the CDC, there's an Italian Institute, um, the, in, the Indian Council for Medical Research um, in New Zealand, the University of Otago, and in the Australia, the uh, Doherty Institute they had claimed to have done that so yeah we yeah. have like really good coverage at this point and it's right pretty you know i two a couple of things one is i've often thought that we should actually switch the name or the word that we use from isolate or purify to found like yeah is that well, you don't say did you isolate a termite from the wood no. You you ask people, did you find a termite? Yeah, but say, you know what? The reason know. I say I, the reason I stick to the the purification is because if I say, show me where you found it, they'll send me papers where they have their arrows on the yeah. electron microscope, and they'll say, there we found yeah. it. It's right there. Right. <laughs> what are you talking right. about? Yeah. So, right. okay, and, and then uh, again, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you've branched out from SARS-CoV-2 and now you ask, do you have measles, smallpox, uh, polio? Yeah, um, I'm just going to, um, I'll go to my website and I'll read off the some of the, um, because it, there's so many now, it's getting hard to keep track of everything. So I'll just go through, I think, can you still see me? Yeah. Okay, because I'm looking at my website right now. So I have an extra page. All those responses are available from my website. Uh, they're all uh, hyperlinks for each one so a person can find them all easily. And there's also a link to my Google Drive where I have compilation PDFs where you can find them by country and to make it easy for people to download them. Right. And then I have we have this other page I had to start because we now have, like you were saying, um, we branched out into other alleged viruses, imaginary viruses as well. So one, one that we've had for quite a while, it's actually from December 30th, 2020. This was um, another fellow, he used the exact same wording that we had been using with um, the imaginary COVID virus. He sent that to your CDC asking about the alleged 2003 SARS virus or any common cold coronavirus. And they gave him a straightforward, no, we have no records of any of those having been purified. And so for that version where it SARS cold, the alleged 2003 SARS virus or any common cold vi virus, we have responses from New Zealand's Ministry of Health, New Zealand's Crown Research Institute, which is ESR. 
Um, and then we have a bunch of municipal uh, municipalities in the UK. For, oh, I have, I, I got a good one recently with the Public Health Agency of Canada. I, you know, it gets to be a lot of work. And I said, you know what, I'm just going to ask them if they have any record of any alleged virus having been purified from a human. And, and I, I thought they might say, no, that's too broad. You have to narrow it down. It's too much work. But I thought I'll just give it a try. And sure enough, on December 20th, they sent me the response and they said that, um, no, they have no records of any alleged virus having been purified from any patient sample by anyone anywhere on the planet ever. End of yeah. story. But they, they said it's because of the way I phrased the question. <laughs> and then right. they go on about cell cultures and PCR tests. Right. And then we and, have this, yeah. Sorry. And just to be clear, uh, which I think most people listening already know, and you certainly do. If you've never purified the virus, you obviously can't say that that's the cause of anything. And if you've never purified the virus, you can't say that a piece of it, as in a PCR test, came from the virus. And if you've exactly. never purified it, you can't say that the genome came from this thing that you didn't purify. And I just encourage people to think of, you know, it, it gets complicated for them when they think about viruses. But if I said, you know, I have a piece of a hoof and I think it came from a unicorn, everybody would want to know whether I have a unicorn first. And yeah. <laughs> somehow we don't correlate that because it's too small or too complicated or something. But well, that's why you're were, like you were saying that you're grateful to me, but I could not have. I couldn't have done this without you and Dr. Kaufman and Dr. Stefan Lanka too, but yeah. I mean, you and Dr. Kaufman, to me, you're the masters at making this so, so simple that anybody can understand it. And because I, and I, I was not doing interviews in the beginning for different reasons, but partly I was like, you know what, these two are so good at what they're doing. I like let they're, they're so good at doing the talking and, and they have more credibility because you're doctors. So I was just like, you know what, just, I'll stay in the background. Let me just collect these documents and you guys can do the talking. And, and then eventually I started talking, but I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't have been doing all this, you know, I, I, there would be so few people in the world who, who would even be willing to look at the documents if it hadn't been for you guys explaining it to everybody. So, so yeah, yeah I'm sorry. My, I lost my train of thought there. I'm not sure where we were going, but we, yeah, yeah we have, yeah. um, I think we, the we, bottom line, right? So we we are we now know that there's all basically all of the institutions that have been asked and responded when given the clear question of have you found the termite in the in the in the in the in the rotten wood? Have you found a virus, purified it, isolated from a sick person anywhere on the planet, any published, they say no. Yeah, and that's just the fact, whether you yeah. you can give a whole lot of reasons why that's the case, none of which are actually real, but uh, that's you cannot escape that. No. And, and like you said, we, we now have HIV, HPV, measles, right. any alleged virus on a so-called vaccination schedule. I mean, we not every single virus, except Public Health Agency of Canada admitted they have no virus whatsoever from humans. Oh, and we have rabies now from the CDC. Yeah. They don't have any rabies virus. So we have a, a lot of them and it's pretty clear at this point, 
not only have they not been able to provide any records for any alleged virus, but we have many um, responses now, for example, from the CDC and from the Public Health Agency of Canada and other institutions where they say flat out, what you're asking for is outside the realm of what is possible in virology or different versions of that. They tell you, no, this is just, that's yeah. never done in virology. So it's yeah. very clear that it, this is, it's not just a handful of viruses, it's all of them. They just right. don't. And so now I just tell people virology just isn't a science, period. Yeah. It's just not. Yeah, I like what you, <laughs> you you say because it doesn't exist and virology isn't a science. So yeah. Now let's let's get into because oh increasingly I've become more and more irritated by the leadership in the uh anti-vax, if you want to say that, or vaccine dissenting, if you want to say that community that they keep talking about the virus and you get natural immunity and vaccine immunity and pathogenic priming and, and, you know, all this stuff, antibody dependent enhancement and the variants. And it's not so bad, the variants, it's better to get, you can't be naturally immune to something that doesn't exist. And I've become more and more annoyed and then there was, uh, some of them get a lot of play, like apparently an interview with a guy named Peter McCulloch on, I think, Joe Rogan. And he made some claims, which uh, I think you have looked into, and I would love to hear what you found on that. Oh, okay. So so I, it was actually Dr. McCullough on the Alex Jones show oh, sorry, that, Alex. Um, that I looked in. Uh, yeah. Um, so what I'm going to do... You can still well, see I me. I apologize but... to Joe Rogan. So I, <laughs> yeah. I so, take that back. I think what I'll do now is actually share my screen, if that's okay. Yes, please. And um, let me just figure out how to do it because I'm not. So which one do I need to click on? I guess it's here. Okay. So I think you can see my yes. screen right now. Okay. So what I did, I put this information um, on my website. So if anybody wants to find it, this is my website, fluoridefreepeel.ca. Be sure to spell fluoride with U-O, not O-U. And when you come to my, my homepage, if you want to find this, just type in McCullough. And then uh, I'll just show, so it's pretty easy to find it. So it'll bring up this page and we'll go to the most recent um, thing that happened. So what happened a, a few days ago, or I guess it was one day last week, maybe someone sent me an email saying, um, I'll just click on it here. Someone sent me an email saying that they had seen Dr. McCullough on, uh, I trust Dr. Peter McCullough almost anyway. He was on Alex Jones show a few days ago. It's a great summary, blah, blah, blah. At the one hour, one minute and 50 second mark, he mentions a company that he says has a million samples of the virus and they've sequenced it, et cetera. So I, they, I think they sent me the link or anyway, I found the, the program and on that page of my website, the link is there. So if anybody wants to actually watch the program, you can bring it up and see it. But Dr. McCullough was a guest on, I guess it's InfoWars with Alex Jones. So I'll just close that so it doesn't interfere with our uh, 
bandwidths or what have you. So if you go to that part in the, um, the one hour, just before the one hour and two minute mark, Dr. McCullough is rave, raving about this so-called scientist uh, and that he works with a company called Inference. And Dr. McCullough said that these guys, uh, I have the name here, it's um, AJ, I have no idea, Ventaka Krishnan. Anyway, Dr. McCullough said that these guys have, quote, over a million of these samples of people with the virus. They've sequenced it. They know everything about the virus in terms of its genomic sequence. I assume he meant they have samples of the virus and not samples of people with the virus, but anyway. So, and I think at this point he was talking of Omicron. It doesn't really matter. He's talking about a virus, something to do with COVID-19. I didn't watch the whole hour long or it's more than an hour. I don't pay attention to discussions of imaginary viruses. I don't have time for that. But I went to that part of the, the show just to to verify what he had said. And I typed out this quote. So I sent an email. If you go to the paper and it's here, if anybody wants to look this up and verify it for themselves, at that point in the show, Dr. McCullough was talking about this specific paper. And it's, uh, so Omicron variant, blah, 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 whatever. They're analyzing so-called uh, Omicron genomes. And there's contact, so the information, uh, the so-called scientist that Dr. Um, McCullough was raving about is this A.J. Ventak Krishnan. And, and then there's an email address for the corresponding author, Venki Sundararajan. I'm probably not saying that very well. So I took a quick look through the paper. I did not read it um, from start to finish. All I was interested in was, did they actually have samples from patients? Or, do they, or more importantly, did they actually have uh, verified samples of an alleged virus? So I looked through it. I go quickly to the methods, which I, I find it really weird when papers, I don't know, when I was involved in research, the methods would come before the results. But anyway, they, a lot of papers, they seem to put the methods later as if they don't maybe really want you to read it. But it doesn't say anything anywhere about patient samples, nothing to do with patients. It's um, the Gizade or however you say it, database where people upload all their fabricated, meaningless uh, genomes that they created on computers. So there's nothing in here about patients or actual purified samples of alleged viruses. So I thought, well, it seems like Dr. McCullough has confused a lot of people because I'm pretty sure a lot of people watch InfoWars. And I'm pretty sure the person who emailed me is not the only person who got confused and believes that by samples of people with the virus, um, they think that this company actually has samples of a virus. So I wrote um, to the so-called scientist and I copied Dr. McCullough so that he would know and give him a chance to jump in and let him know that I'm you know, checking up on his, his claims. And I said, according to Dr. McCullough, this is what he said. And um, he highlighted this paper and I found it online and the methods say that you're just dealing with in silico genomes and no patient specimens and no purified samples of any virus. Is that correct? And if, if you are claiming to have physical samples of disease causing viruses, 
um, you know, could you please clarify and let us know where we can find the detailed methods that were used to obtain those supposed samples. So that was on January 2nd, 4.39. And oh my gosh, eight minutes later, Dr. McCullough answered. That was really fast. And he said, Ms. Massey, here's the reference to the 1.8 million genomes that I have mentioned. Let me know if you have a contribution on this important issue. So he, what he did was he attached another paper. And if anyone wants to see that paper, oh, I actually included it in the PDF because he sent me the, he sent me the actual PDF of this other paper. So it's right there in the, along with the emails, if anybody wants to check it out. So he gave a quote, um, sorry, I'm losing my place here. Analysis of 1.8 million SARS-CoV-2 genomes deposited from 183 countries and territories, blah, 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 in the GISA database. So I don't know, it, you know, does Dr. McCullough really think that this GISA or however you say it database is a database full of patient samples or samples of purified alleged viruses. Uh, I would have thought that someone, you know, in his position would know that these are just electronic codes. I don't know what he's thinking, but anyway, that was the quote that he gave. And sure enough, it's in that paper that he sent me. It's just in the first few pages, they mention um, having these 1.8 million samples. So again, I looked at that paper. I did not read it from start to finish, but I looked through enough to see what they were actually using, find the methods in here somewhere. And again, they're talking about electronic genomes and they also did some sequencing of their own. So they, they downloaded 1.8 million meaningless uh, sequences called genomes from the internet and they did a completely useless and meaningless analysis of them because they don't correspond to anything in the physical realm. And then they also had some patient samples from the Mayo Clinic and it was less than 100. I mean, 53 supposedly, but not really infected patients from the Mayo Clinic. And they were sequencing, uh, you know, making up imaginary genomes of their own too. So there's nothing in here about purifying out any virus. And it actually said, well, I'll go back to my email and I'll point out what I said to Dr. McCullough. So as usual in that paper that he sent me, we find it says, quote, viral RNA was first manually extracted and purified from these clinical specimens. So from the patient samples, they extracted RNA and then they proceeded as usual with their completely meaningless procedure for making up an imaginary genome for an imaginary virus. So they didn't purify out any, any alleged virus. There's no investigation to see if there is any virus that anything actually causes disease. They just took all the RNA from the patient samples and they did their usual thing of detecting zillions and zillions of um, sequences or, you know, not really detecting them because I guess like Dr. Lanka says, they run so many cycles on PCR tests that the, the sequences weren't even really there. So they just have a completely meaningless group of sequences and then they put them all together on a computer and they call it a genome. So I said, verbally designating RNA as viral does not make it so. It's just a soup of RNA never shown to have anything to do with an alleged virus. Anyway, then I asked him if he would like to explain to the public why he was telling them that 
this company has over a million samples of the virus when he's completely unable to cite any paper whatsoever proving the existence of SARS-CoV-2 or Omicron or any virus whatsoever, let alone disease causation, and he still hasn't cited anything showing that this company has even one sample of any virus. And the reason I might sound like him being a bit hard on him, um, it's not the first time I've corresponded with Dr. McCullough on this topic, so I, I can show you my previous exchange with him um, when we get done with this one. Anyway, and then I said to the AJ, the so-called scientist, um, that the public requires clarification. Do you claim to have physical samples of disease-causing viruses? And is, if so, please make the detailed methods uh, available to the public. Let us know where we can find those methods. So that was January 2nd. Today's the 4th. I've never heard back from the so-called scientist. Oh, and then I sent a postscript pointing out to Dr. McCullough that those 1.8 million genomes were just downloaded from the internet, just in case it's not clear to him yet, that that's what a, an in silico genome is. It's just a computer thing. And um, I told him that the genomes that those researchers made themselves were less than 100. Not that it matters because they're completely meaningless. It doesn't matter how many you have. And then I noticed that I was corresponding to the wrong person. The email address that was in the paper was for this other so-called scientist named Venki Soundarajam. So I made clear to him that I had been rushing because I was alarmed by Dr. McCullough's uh, claims that went out to millions of people. And the public requires answers from both him and the other so-called scientist. So I've had no more no more communication from Dr. McCullough and I've had no response from the so-called scientists. So according to the two papers um, that I have seen so far, there's no indication of any virus whatsoever. Got it. You know, this is like, um, one of the things I've been saying more and more is that th this essentially bogus information that's coming out of the, you know, so-called freedom community may only stop when the people who are doing podcasts and, you know, interviews and, you know, helping them speak on forums, et cetera, actually know enough about the science to say, what about this? Just like you're doing. I mean, you're giving people a blueprint for how to do this because you, you understand the process and the actual facts and science. So you can ask them, so you said this, but show me the evidence and you know what, what you're looking at when you see the evidence and let's hear what they say. Yeah. Like if they can, if they can prove it, that's, I'm fine. I'll say I'm wrong, you know, but but the problem is nobody seems to know it, not nobody, but very few people, they're scared when they interview them. They're scared when they invite them on uh, summits and podcasts to say, you know, if you say there's 40% of the genome as viruses, you, do you even know what you mean by that? Or, you know, we have 10 to the 42nd power viruses in our making up our quote virome <laughs> yeah. like what the hell yeah, is exactly that's that's just pieces of garbage that are 
like scraps of RNA, which is now called a virus. But if you don't know that, you don't know what to ask them. And that's the, really the magic and the, the, just the brilliance of what you're doing. Well, yeah, I think what you said is exactly right. That's what needs to start happening. And, um, and hopefully it will. And I know a lot of people are getting very fed up. People who know, like, who are familiar with what actually happens in these so-called isolation studies, and they know the truth. And um, there's a lot of people I know are getting fed up. So I think there's the people who are going on these shows and making these claims that they're consistently unable to substantiate with evidence, um, they're going to find themselves being challenged more and more often and called out publicly. I know Dr. McCullough was called out publicly by Dr. Jane Ruby and Stu Peters recently as well for the same reason. So hopefully it's going to catch on and there'll be more and more of this. And uh, I know that there definitely will be more and more of it. And we're, you know, not trying to attack anybody. It's just about, like you said, you, you know, back up what you're saying, because if, if we're correct, and it seems pretty clear to me that we are, we've done everything we could possibly do to find proof of these alleged viruses. Um, if it's true that they don't exist or there's no evidence that they exist, then the, everything to do with COVID and everything to do with virology is bogus and it needs to stop immediately. And a lot of harm is being caused. So, um, and if you don't mind, I'll go back to that earlier email exchange that I had with Dr. McCullough. Yeah, it, no, my, go ahead. Do you want me to go through that? Sure. Um, so, oh, so I'll just share my screen again. And where do I go here, I think? Okay. So this is why I might have sounded a little harsh, but I had another, uh, I've had other opportunities to correspond with Dr. McCullough. And one of them came about because Several months ago, someone started copying me on emails, uh, an email list that included a lot of these famous people, um, doctors, uh, so-called scientists, and lawyers, what have you, very, very prominent people. And I was shocked to be included in these emails, but I was like, okay, what, you know, so I was watching what was being said. And at one point, Dr. McCullough sent out an email to the list and I'll just open it up here. I'll close that other one. He sent out an email to the list and he was sharing a video. I blocked out the names of the other people, you know, for their privacy um, in case some of their email addresses are not already public. Dr. McCullough's is, so that's why I didn't hesitate to share his email address. So he said, um, blah, blah, whatever. He shared a link to a presentation he had done recently and there was a Q&A. I ignored it. I'm not interested in people's presentations on imaginary viruses and I already know the injections are harmful and a lot of people are focusing on that. So I just keep my focus on the freedom of information evidence. So, but somebody emailed me and said, Christine, did you see what he said? Because in the Q&A, someone asked him about uh, the isolation issue. And he responded saying, he responded in a very, I'll call it a very snarky way. And if somebody wants to see it, um, you can find it here on this link here. So this is the Q&A video where he made his snarky comments at the 38 and 22nd minute mark. 
So he was asked about the isolation issue. And he indicated that people like us who are saying that the alleged virus has never been isolated or purified and thus doesn't exist or hasn't been shown to exist, that we're asking a trick question. And he made us sound ridiculous. He gave a very, um, talked about the issue in a, a very dismissive and um, misleading way as though we're just saying, oh, you haven't purified it therefore it doesn't exist which is a very simplified version of what we're saying it's just that you have to purify to do the steps to show that there is a disease causing virus so and then he also claimed that pcr tests are legit and i just about fell off my chair when i heard him saying that because i don't think there's really any excuse at this point almost two years in to not know that the pcr tests are not legit so i wrote to dr mccullough i, I copied everybody else in the group and i said um, please cite that virus isolation paper. Oh, because he had mentioned a specific alleged virus isolation paper. He couldn't remember the exact name of the author, but he thought it was someone with a certain background. And he said that he had looked at it and they had sequenced, they had isolated it enough to sequence the virus, which makes no sense. But anyway, so I said, uh, Dr. McCullough, um, since you have essentially publicly accused me and others of posing a little trick question, while in the same breath you say, how can you make a vaccine without isolating as if deadly injections prove the existence of a virus? I now challenge you to back up your claims and accusations with hard evidence. The existence of SARS-CoV-2 and the validity of the PCR tests are central to the entire COVID saga. So the importance of setting this matter, um, the importance of setting this matter straight, I should have said, cannot be overstated. So, oh, settling this matter. Thus, I hope you'll agree to cite the paper that you vaguely referenced in your response and any other paper that you believe proved the existence of the virus. A test for a virus that has never been shown to exist obviously cannot be legit and is impossible to validate. So it seems that the existence question should be the first place to start. So I'm just asking him for the evidence of the alleged virus having been isolated. And his sole response, I think he responded very quickly that same day. And he said, Christine, you and others are certainly entitled to make your case and give an alternate explanation of for the, the illness as if it's a specific illness, my directions are directed elsewhere. So he totally failed, didn't even try to back up his claims with actual evidence. So anyway, there's a bit more back and forth. That part probably isn't so um, important. I'm not sure if there's anything terribly important about it, but anyway, I was letting him know he was confusing people. Uh, this is an email from, I get these emails from people who have been confused by Dr. McCullough. So anyway, again, I gave him a chance back in November to set the record straight and he failed. And on that email list, there were other multiple times. I don't know if he read those emails or not. I can't say for sure, but I laid out the issue multiple times for everybody on that list. I challenged everybody on that list, anybody, send me any proof of any virus. And I got basically no response. One person attempted. They sent me papers with the monkey cell nonsense and made up fabricated genomes. Um, the genomes were made from sequences um, detected in someone's poop. So that was it. So that's right. why I, if I sound a little harsh on Dr. McCullough. <laughs> 
So there you go. So I'm going to finish. Uh, I'll give each of us a chance to answer this. I think it's, it's a sort of obvious and maybe stupid question, but I like those. So because I get this a lot. So Tom, why does this even matter? You're just being divisive. So uh, let me start. Here's my answer. So we don't spray every house with termite, poison termite poison to kill imaginary termites. Yeah, and and exactly. And so I would add to that, um, our whole world is being turned upside down under the guise of this alleged virus and variants. It's affecting people in so many different ways and causing so much trouble. And it's being used as a cover story to bring in so many changes that the public would not otherwise agree to. And, you know, sometimes people say, well, who are you to question? Or, you know, I say, number one, like you mentioned, it's not rocket science. This is just the difference between separating things apart and mixing things together. It's the difference between, you know, having evidence to back up your claims of causation and and just making wild assumptions. So it's very simple for anyone to learn. And when it's being used to justify a complete rearrangement of our world, we have every right and every reason to be questioning. Don't try to tell me or anybody else that we don't have the right or that this is too complicated or anything. It's our lives are being affected. We have every right to, to question. And so we should. So, yeah. Okay. Thanks so much. I I'm sitting here wondering, and maybe I'll just put it out there. It would be interesting since uh, Dr. McCulloch's email is, is uh, public, I guess. Uh, Maybe everybody listening should write him and say, uh, Hey doc, what's up? Yeah, <laughs> it's a good idea. And I found his email address online very easily. So it's, yeah. it's not so at it's all not private. public uh, or private. So no. why don't we do that as a exercise in uh, what we can do and uh, see what happens. All right. Thanks so much. This was uh, perfect. And I just want to express my gratitude again. And we will be in touch. Thank you so much, Dr. Cowan. Same to you. God bless you. God bless everybody. Take care. Thank you.